Welcome everyone to the European Parliament in Strasbourg and this EPP group talk on combating violence against women. Some people call this uh, a silent epidemic. Uh, it, it's, uh, this effort is in the Parliament and elsewhere to fight, to combat this epidemic, not only in the EU, but, but around the world. Uh, MEPs are pushing to ratify what's called the Istanbul Convention. Uh, which is uh, already being observed by a number of European countries, by most of them, though there are six who have yet uh, to ratify that convention, which is a legally binding uh, treaty against uh, violence against women. Joining us uh, to talk about this is uh, Francis Fitzgerald. You're among those MEPs who are working tirelessly to make this happen. Uh, you're on the Committee on Women's Rights and Gender Equality, working on this, also on this new directive on combating violence uh, against women. And uh, online, uh, Marcella Pirone, uh, president of the WAVE Network, that's Women Against Violence uh, in Europe. Uh, you've been uh, for 25 years with WAVE and uh, as a feminist lawyer activist for 35 years, uh, you speak uh, from uh, experience of helping to set up these different women's shelters uh, in Italy. Uh, WAVE is a network of 165 members running over 1,600 women's specialist services against violence uh, in 46 European countries. It's a very large uh, organization dealing with a very large uh, issue uh, because uh, the EU's uh, Fundamental Rights Agency says one in three women in the mm. EU, around 62 million women have experienced physical or uh, sexual violence. Um, uh, more than half of uh, all women in the EU have experienced sexual harassment uh, at least once since the age uh, of 15. Uh, one more uh, figure here, the uh, UN uh, Women Agency uh, uh, says more than 80,000 women were killed worldwide in 2021, more than half of them from intimate partners or uh, a family member, 4,500 of them here in Europe. How do we combat that? Let's talk to, let's first uh, talk to Francis on this. I mean, uh, how urgent, can you tell us how, obviously this is urgent, but um, uh, can you tell us a little bit more on the urgency to combat it in Europe? Oh, it's absolutely critical because you're quite right in what you said in the introduction. It's a silent epidemic. And we've got to break that silence because every 10 years, a city the size of Marseille Zagreb, Amsterdam disappears effectively because 800,000 plus women are killed by femicide. So imagine, you know, a city that size, cities that size disappearing. That's the scale of femicide, of women dying every year. So women are being killed uh, right across the member states. And if anything, I'm surprised that it doesn't get the level of urgency from everyone whole of society all of the time now to stop this because we can stop it we can interrupt it we can make sure that no more women die uh, from intimate partner violence in right. europe i mean we we've got to do more we can lessen the numbers we can you know we can prevent this by various actions we can protect women more and then we can prosecute more as well right and the european parliament uh, passed has passed a resolution urging uh, there to be uh, the, the final ratification. Oh, for 10 years right? the Parliament's been working yeah. and uh, we have right. finally uh, passed it in the European Parliament. Now the Council, that's the Istanbul Convention, just have to vote on it. So fair play to the Swedish presidency who made this happen. 
Right. Why didn't it happen before now? What is the problem? Right. Uh, Marcella, let me ask you, because uh, you being very much in touch with uh, the, the shelters across uh, Europe, how much did the, the COVID crisis, and we've seen this, the statistics rise because of, uh, because during the COVID crisis, how much did that COVID crisis uh, intensify or uh, aggravate uh, the situation and increase uh, violence against women? It is proved by statistics, by data, that it, it increased a lot, but not only for understandable reasons, because imagine, I live with a violent partner and I am locked in with that partner. Yeah. This is the, the worst story which can happen. But on the end as well, everyone else who should be there to help me was somehow not 100% there and efficient. And we can say, and this is something which has to be recognized, that the shelters, the women's specialist services, very often on voluntary basis, they were there. They were really sometimes the only ones hmm. who were 24 hours around the clock, every day reachable. And they were really sometimes the last and only resource for these situations, for these women. So I think this has to be recognized because this is very important, especially in those places, in those countries where these services are not sufficiently funded or not even recognized. They, you, this you, has shown you started, their importance. Yeah, you started to, uh, you, you began a, a, a network of women's shelters in Italy. Was there a light bulb moment that, that where you decided, I've got to do this? Actually, it started informally very, very early. And this is the typical uh, story, not only fetally, of all countries where there are networks, because women's groups who started 40 and more years ago to realize that this is a social and common problem, it's not a private problem, it's a problem for whole society, and yeah. started engaging in it, were looking for other women to empower themselves, to enforce themselves, because the state was doing nothing. So we had to join, we had to come together to give us strength, power, to give us experience and to grow. And this has then led to formalizing networks. But we have always worked in a network. And I must say that Istanbul Convention recognizes this incredible strength of the networking, of working together, talking about multi-agency approach, which is the model we have always applied. How much uh, improvement have you seen in the countries in Europe that have actually ratified the Istanbul Convention? I can talk from my country, but also from many other countries. And one first improvement is that you know that you are monitored. There is someone from outside, and this is to recognize to the Council of Europe's graveyard experts groups. They come and look, and they come and look at the states, at the institutions. They come and look how much has been done what is still needed, and they can assure you that all the national reports, the country reports, are a real, real good document for an analyzing what has happened in the country and what is still missing. So this is a very, very important development, and I'm very happy to say that this, if this will happen now to the European Union, this is a very, very important uh, success. Really. Yeah, and the importance of getting the others to ratify. Uh, Francis, what can can you tell us briefly what before we go into that directive that you're 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 working on? What does the Istanbul Convention do? Well, effectively, it's a kind of 
a statement about standards, about what needs to be done in each member state in order to effectively protect women, uh, prevent violence. Um, it outlines the kind of national strategies that you should have. So many countries now, like in Ireland, have a national strategy mm. to combat gender-based violence. And that means that you're getting everybody to work to a plan uh, that first of all, you recognize how serious this issue is, that you have laws in place, that you have services in place, that you support NGOs who are working in this area. Mm. You probably have a helpline that's available to the public. You support the shelters that we have. So it lays out all of the different elements because no one factor is going to solve this issue. I mean, it's impacted more now by, say, alcohol and by drugs, right. by pornography, yeah. uh, by what we're seeing online. Yeah. Um, therefore, it's ever-changing, uh, the things that cause uh, gender-based violence. But there are things that can be done to prevent, and then where it is happening, to help the victims who are mostly women. So protection, prevention, prevention. yes. Prosecution. prosecution. There are three, yes. three aspects three to it. Three key pillars. How is that working in Ireland? Because you, uh, Ireland yes. has ratified the yes. Istanbul Convention, right? Well, I think we're seeing a lot more activity, a lot of engagement between the NGO community, all mm. of those activists that we've been talking about, informing government about policy, working in partnership. There's a huge partnership between the NGO uh, community active in this area, better services for victims of rape, better services uh, for women uh, who are in domestic violence situations, mm. um, more counselling, more support, more laws. Mm. That's really important. So the whole, you know, the whole panoply of actions that you needed, they're all happening. Okay. But it's a very pervasive problem. Yeah. And, you know, we need more men involved in this. I talk a lot about the need for more male champions. Right. We need to have men speaking out because men will impact on other men as yeah. well. They'll listen. We cannot right. leave it to women alone which it really has been primarily women who've highlighted this and worked in it. I want to hear managing directors of firms. Mm. I want to hear male uh, political leaders. I want to hear them in the parliament, not all the women parliamentarians. I want to hear the men going in and saying, you know, how appalled they are by what's happening yeah. uh, in our world in relation to what's happening to women. I don't hear enough men speaking out about this. Right, right. Mar Marcella, I guess, uh, how, how much has WAVE uh, been working with men to uh, to, to cast uh, that that message. Wave is always working on the uh, awareness raising and also on prevention, and that means that our society has to tackle the models, the stereotypes, the culture, and that means working from the earliest age with boys and girls and with everyone in society who has the responsibility to vehicle pictures, images, how roles. So this is very important for us and we have always been doing it by uh, prevention work, education work and trainings. Mm. And what we have also been doing very, very clearly is mm. to, uh, Ms. Fitzgerald was uh, mentioning this, cooperating and being in a constant collaboration and interaction with the decision makers, with the politicians. And we really wish that our experience and our knowledge is not only taken as a as sort of an interlocution, but also as seriously as possible 
to find certain requests also in the international legal instruments like now the directive. Mm. I've, I've talked to the, the Council of Europe, which uh, also helped to, to organize that Istanbul Convention, right? Um, oh, yes, so, yeah, they did it. It's their, their thing. Yes. Uh, ironically, Turkey has, uh, has exited the Istanbul Convention, even That's though right. it was in Istanbul that it was yes. reached, right? Um, uh, hopefully you can get them to, to, to join in again. Uh, but uh, uh, the Council of Europe also told me that they've seen progress uh, d despite all those horrifying figures that I cited at the very beginning, uh, they, they see uh, there are more hotlines across Europe, uh, crisis centers for the first yeah. time in Belgium, Portugal, Finland, Albania, uh, laws to define rape based on the lack of consent rather than on proof of force and threat. And Sweden amended its law where it says only yes means yes. Prosecution rates are rising there. Um, any other progress that, that, that you see, Marcella? The progress is uh, what we are hearing now, is that there is uh, media, public discourse, and also uh, political responsibility. This is the progress. Where I am a bit worried about is ah. if this progress, it becomes a sort of, uh, let's say, uh, fashion. We have to talk about violence, but we are not going actually in depth of it. And we are looking for shortcuts to find solutions, whereas it's clear that unfortunately we don't have shortcuts. We have yeah. to tackle it from the roots by being prepared to invest, invest much more funds because it's proved that if you invest one yeah. euro for saving a life or not even a life, but a violent situation, it will come back in terms of benefit for social, for education, for health, for work, uh, seven times more. This are right. data. So right. this is worth being done and really invested. I'd like to, Francis, I'd like to move on uh, to the directive that you're working yes. on uh, among, uh, with other members of the EPP group and, and, and beyond. You're trying to put together cross-party support for this. What's the role of the EPP group in making this directive happen? And what, is, what does the directive Well, do? I'm one of the rapporteurs, so I'm an yeah. EPP rapporteur, uh, working with a socialist colleague okay. and with all of the other stakeholders, all of the other parties. Okay. So this is a directive uh, which the Commission proposed. It's a directive on violence against women and domestic violence. And it covers um, rape, how to deal with uh, rape. It covers female genital mutilation. It covers uh, cyber uh, violence, which includes cyberbullying, sending intimate images, mm. all of that type of thing, which we know now is a huge issue, particularly, mm. of course, a lot of younger women being targeted yeah. with cyber violence and tragically uh, leading to suicides, leading, you know, death, um, huge implications. And we've got to keep up with technology. So we've got to have law uh, that criminalizes the behavior uh, online as much as we criminalize it offline. So the directive is um, great credit to Ursula von der Leyen for bringing this out. Uh -huh. uh, our EPP uh, president uh, of the commission and we are trying to make sure that this becomes law and it would mean that every member state it's really if you like the implementation tool at a European level of the Istanbul Convention oh so okay. it, 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 it lays out it again kind of, exactly right. and again it looks at you know prevention um, 
protection prosecution. And it's, it's laying down clear definitions. Now, very interesting. I mean, you would have thought that rape would be central in a new directive on violence against women, but quite a number of member states, many of them, are saying, because it's not what's called a Euro crime, uh, we can't have it in the directive. Uh -huh. Imagine a, a, a directive on violence against women without rape being central, uh, you know, dealing with the horrendous crime of rape. Um, but they're saying, oh, well, it's kind of an overreach by Europe because it's not a Euro crime and you need a unanimous decision to make it a Euro crime. Mm -hmm. um, we think it's an overreach by European, uh, you know, institutions ah. into our criminal justice law. So that's kind of, that really makes me very worried that we could end up in that situation. I'm quite right. concerned about it. But the directive is, is very good. So we're working to get agreement across all of the stakeholders here. Uh, uh, and all of the people who are working on it from all of the political parties. We're in the middle of negotiations right now. We okay. hope to have a vote in the parliament in June. Okay. Uh, okay. And Marcella, anything to add on that on that directive? I guess that must uh, be uh, a, yes, a, a positive can. thing Very for you. Happy to. Yeah. Very happy. We've uh, recognized, first of all, the great work which has been done by the rapporteurs and all the shadow rapporteurs, and we are in constant uh, discussion with them. And rightly, uh, Ms. Fitzgerald was uh, con concerned about something strange in the directive about rape, and we as WAVE, who represent women's specialist services, are also uh, very concerned about a very another strange uh, effect of this directive, which is it's called the Directive for Women against, Violence Against Women. And when it lists all the services which should be tackling this phenomenon, this problem, mm. the, the word women doesn't exist. The, the whole directive speaks, speaks about specialist services without calling the women specialist services, which are in fact the ones who since over 40 years are fighting this and are a good model in all European countries. So this is one point we are concerned, very much concerned about as the network mm. of specialist services. And we have uh, given our uh, sort of opinion and advice, and I'm sure Ms. Fitzgerald uh, and all the others can sort of yeah. think about, consider this, because this is another strange result of some political discussions. Yeah, can, can any further well, explanation of, you on know, that? You know, there's Francis? lots of discussions about the language in the, in the directive, and I know this has been a concern. Of course, we support women-only, you know, shelters, we certainly do. But the language at the beginning is very inclusive uh, that's been used uh, in the directive, and we're hoping that that kind of meets the concerns uh, that people have about uh, about services and about having services uh, for women. But it, we're in ongoing discussions to kind of make sure mm. the language is as inclusive as possible. We've got a, a lot of legal advice on it. And, uh, you know, we're keen to meet those concerns and make sure they are reflective in, in the directive. Can I, uh, Marcella, can I ask you more about the, uh, the helpline? Because I see uh, it's, and by the way, it's 116016. 116016, uh, at least 15 countries, 15 countries have joined in Europe. Uh, the deadline for member states to uh, uh, reserve the common EU number to connect to the national helplines uh, was the end of last month. Um, what's the situation now, Marcella? I, uh, we think that uh, our experience is that national helplines uh, will connect and then to the local realities are very, very important because, of course, they know best about their own country. Yeah. So what was important for us is that if 
there is a national uh, international helpline if there is an european helpline it has to be very carefully coordinated and connected with already existing very efficient helplines this yes. is in fact has been uh, considered in the directive and this is a very important point that uh, mm. we don't need other services if we have already good services but it's good to coordinate them as best and to again give them instruments and funds to work and to function okay very good uh, coming back to the istanbul convention now the next step is what the count european the council, council needs to ratify yes. and that's it then Yes. And it's through and qualified it's, majority. Exactly. The European Court of Justice recently said that it could be a qualified majority as opposed to unanimity. That's what was holding it up. So now it's going to be a qualified majority. And then we hope that those countries who didn't ratify to begin with, that they, you know, begin to really act on this huge problem in their countries of yes. domestic violence and, you know, femicide and make sure that action is taken along the lines that are outlined in the Istanbul Convention, and which will be outlined in the directive. So there's a lot of activity, you know, uh, let's hope uh, that we see action on the ground as well. That's what really matters at the end of the day. Sure. Uh, Marcella, final word? We are uh, active on the ground and we were really, really hoping and pushing for this ratification or accession of the EU. So this is a very successful moment. So thank you to all who were active on this, starting from the Parliament, European Parliament, but also the civil society who has really, really worked on this. Marcella, mille grazie. Thank you so much for speaking to us thank from you. Italy. And uh, Francis as well. Thank You're you. You're very welcome. Keep up thank the good you, work. Chris, once thanks, again. Yeah, thanks everybody for, uh, for watching and listening. Uh, keep in mind at EPP Group uh, to cast any images, any uh, messages wider on the social networks and take a look at eppgroup.eu for any further uh, information. My name is uh, Chris Burns. See you next time.